This is the BBC. This podcast is supported by advertising outside the UK. This is the Coast and Country download from the BBC. You can find the terms and conditions on our website at www.bbc.co.uk forward slash radio 4. Today you can hear Open Country. My name is Satnam Sangera and today for Open Country I am in my hometown of Wolverhampton which has never frankly been known for its beautiful landscape. The story goes that when Queen Victoria passed through on a train she asked for the curtains in her carriage to be drawn because she was so offended by the sight of the town. I grew up here with a railway running through my backyard and surrounded by factories and traffic and pollution. And a lot of my childhood was spent playing on these streets around with marines with my cousins. One of my cousins lived right here with marines, one of my 54 first cousins, uh, and I'm here now to meet him at the house where he grew up. Sergeant. How are you? I'm Long very time well. no see. Long time no see. Yeah. I mean, our upbringing was very, very urban, wasn't it? Not much nature. Was no. yours like that? Mm, a bit different. We were quite close to nature, actually, because uh, we had the canals near our house, so literally five minutes walk, and you were in Sylvester yeah. Valley and the canals. So we joined the scouts, and Wolverhampton actually had a Sea Scouts group. Sea Scouts? Sea Scouts in Wolverhampton, yeah. We're miles Seriously? Away, miles away from the seaside, <laughs> but we had the canals, so we had the 35th Wolverhampton Sea Scouts. You were a member of the Scouts? I was a member of the Scouts. Wow, gosh, I can't imagine any member of our family. Did you have the whole outfit? We had the whole outfit. In fact, I've brought some pictures to show <laughs> you. You, feel, you probably won't believe me, but uh, we were the only well, Asian I always Asian suspected that you were the poshest of, our, of my cousins, and this is proving it. Oh, my God. It's like the world's worst boy band, isn't it? There's yeah. four of you there in a row. One of you has a top knot, yes. like I did. Yes, that's and you, right. Is that what you're doing, the three-fingered salute? What is that? That was when we were, yeah, we're doing our oath. Scouts Honour. Scouts Honour. Wow. Yeah, and here we've got, here we've got some canoes. That was our main wow. activity was canoeing. So it was quite Gosh. unusual for to see a bunch of 15 to 20 Asians in a scout group. So you can just imagine from Wolverhampton in the urban jungle going yeah. to Jamborees. So you were quite unusual, though. I mean, the, in general, is it fair to say that many of the immigrant Asian communities in Wolverhampton aren't particularly involved in the natural landscape around Wolverhampton? I would say that. And I think even for, for me, I had to really convince my parents to let me join. They, they thought I was actually wasting my time. I should be in my books. Our Monday meetings, every Monday, in the skies was my favourite thing because it was a sense of escapism from the mundane maybe Asian mundane things that we all did, education, education. Yeah. So when you were having this secret life with nature that we didn't know about, um, you said there was a nearby canal and a nearby scout centre, and I think that's now called the Wildside Activity Centre. That's right. So uh, back in the late 70s and early 80s, it was called the Jubilee Centre, uh, linked to our school, but now it's called Wildside. If you follow me, I'll, I'll take you on. It's only a sh- literally a two-minute walk. So we used to, on the weekends, go on long trips along the canals, so we'd be kayaking or canoeing. Well, I'm going to do that later, I think, so you'll have to um, give me some tips. Yeah, I think the only tip I can give you is balancing. If you can balance, <laughs> you'll be OK. Well, I can barely swim, so I'm not going to fall in, am I? <laughs> Make sure you've got your jacket with your life jacket, you'll be fine. Oh, seriously, God. Blackbirds just flown across. 
God, you're very quick at spotting these things. Oh, yes, you have to be. <laughs> so we're here now in Hawthorne Wood, which is in Whitmore Reens, and we are doing something very unlikely for me, which is bird watching in the heart of Wolverhampton. I'm here with Teresa Dorrance. You're a volunteer, is that right? Yes, I am a volunteer, yes. For the Smesto Valley Nature Reserve, which I didn't realise actually existed. Yes, well, it's been a nature reserve since 1998. It was declared a local nature reserve. And it's an absolutely wonderful habitat. It's a very mixed habitat. So you've got lots of different parts. You've got woodland like this, which is varied trees. And then you've got open spaces further down. You've got meadowland, you've got old ag- agricultural fields. And then, of course, you've got the canal one side and the Smesto Brook the other side. Jolly good. So we're going to walk along the bank of what is yeah. a canal. It's just down there, yeah. That's the Staffs and Worcester Canal. Very good for kingfishers along there. Absolutely brilliant. I was actually reading a, a description of um, the Black Country yeah. in the olden days, which specifically went on about how there were no fish in the brooks and how there were very few... Birds and even the sparrows were smoky. Oh, God, yes. That, well, yeah. Now, that's totally different now because there's fish in the brook, else there wouldn't be kingfishers. There's fish in, loads of fish in the canal. So we've got some nice big old trees and we've also got lots of low-growing stuff. This is what birds love, low stuff. It's quite an unlikely uh, location because it really is the heart of Wolverhampton, isn't it? You can hear the traffic. Yes. I can see a few beer cans. Okay. Oh, yes, well, uh, you can get an, a mattress there, look, but... Uh, oh, yeah, never quite, mind. quite handy. <laughs> <laughs> but this particular woodland here, this is called Hawthorne Woods, and really it is mainly Hawthorne, but we've also got other trees as well. It's quite a nice little mixed woodland. A long-tailed tit? Yes. Little bird there, see? I can see one there, yes. Long-tailed tits. This time of the year, we're waiting for the winter visitors that are coming from Scandinavia. So we're waiting for um, red wings, field fairs, and I've already heard yesterday that the wax wings have arrived They on the east coast. These birds all come in from northern Europe, Scandinavia, to spend the winter here because of the berries. So it's sort of... Just think of all those birds in, in Scandinavia yeah. coming all the way to Wolverhampton. Yes, and it's they like do. <laughs> it's the closest thing we have to a tourist industry, isn't it? It certainly is. We've got plenty of berries around Wolverhampton. <laughs> I do remember actually growing up and when, when we saw a robin or a blue tit, it was such an exciting thing. Mm. So I guess we were plugged into it in some way, but we just didn't have vocabulary for the other birds no, or right. the training. So you, you, like me, are a Wolfroonian, which is yes. the adjective for someone from Wolverhampton, if I'm correct. Yes. Was it a noun? I should know this. I've got a degree in English. Um, anyway, you're a Wolfroonian like me. How did you, despite growing up in this very industrial area, get into birds? Oh, my dad. Oh, my dad was marvellous. He's taught me. He taught me my early stages of what everything was. Well, actually, slightly bizarrely, my, my mum, and like a lot of Indian mums, puts out food, food for birds. Yes. Um, because it's a kind of religious thing. And you, you kind of give something back to nature and so on. You might have just heard that little sort of ticking noise. That's a wren who's, that's its sort of warning call. It's got a beautiful song, but that's its sort of warning call as she knows we're around. I'm amazed at your hearing skills. <laughs> and does it excite you when you see yes. your hear a yes. specific bird? Yes. If I'm with a group, I'll hear it, and they'll say, well, I can't hear a thing. I say, well, no, just stop, listen. 
tune into it and you'll hear it. And sometimes they can, sometimes they can't. The worst ones to hear are uh, Goldcrest, because the pitch is very, very high, the frequency is very high. A lot of men, especially if they've worked in industry, and a lot of men around here have, they can't hear it. You've mm. been taught about birds and you care, and it's yeah. had an emotional resonance yeah. for you. Yes, it has. Um, this is going to be a really weird analogy, but because I've always been into cars, mm. I have this ability to recognise cars, even from their headlights, in the darkest night. I can tell what make of car it is. It's my party trick. And you're a bit like that with birds. It's called the jizz. The jizz? Yeah, that's what they call it in bird watching. It's the general identification of something that you recognise and you know what it is by the shapes and like you with the headlights on the car. And, and it's an emotional thing, isn't it? Because yeah. for me, obviously, cars were important to me as a kid, I guess. Yeah. And for you, it was birds. Birds, yes. Yeah. So having spent a bit of time in the Hawthorne Woods, I've crossed the bridge and I am here to meet one Sue Shanks. Now, which one is she? Hello, Sue. Hi, I'm Satnam. Nice to meet you. Hi. You've got a, a sharp implement in your hands. <laughs> I have, I have. We've been using this. We use tools in the woodlands when we're doing these activities. All right. I start off using them, but hopefully by the end of the sessions, the children start using them. So it's like building up trust in what the activities that they're doing. Excellent. So I imagine this is some kind of educational programme, right? Um, you could call it that. <laughs> it's more a... Just a moment. Hi, Caitlin. I I like wildlife. That's Caitlin. She likes wildlife. So it's an it's a mother and toddlers, and so we come and we I share activities that they can do simple activities using simple natural resources, but largely I'm quite often ignored and they do their own thing, <laughs> which is really brilliant because I what I want them to do is enjoy and making an emotional connection to natural spaces. It's a forest school approach, which is an education system originally begun in Scandinavia, but now is used in this country a lot in schools and in places like this. And are there differences in the communities? Because, I mean, I took my mum to the countryside, and famously the number of ethnic minorities who visit the countryside are very low. I think it's something like 1%. Mm. And I took her out to North Yorkshire. All oh, right, okay. And one of the first things she said when we went for a walk is... There's not enough places to sit down. <laughs> and um, she has a very utilitarian view yes. of the countryside. I think a lot of people of my kind of ethnicity maybe do. I mean, do you spot differences in the groups? Um, I sometimes see Eastern European families being very confident outside. They ha seem to have a much more instinct and knowledge. But yes, I think there's time pressures for people to access that space. There's other family things to resolve it isn't always possible you know if you... the way they see leisure yeah I, I think, think a lot so. of Indian families go shopping or visit their relatives yes. for leisure they don't go to the countryside no although the weird thing is like I'm Sikh and uh, by heritage we're farmers right and yes. so there is a lot of knowledge yeah it's just that when immigrants come to this country, they inevitably go to the cities where their jobs are. Yes. And they lose that connection. Yes, I think you're absolutely right. And I suppose being vulnerable and wondering... Hello, what's that you made? Rainbow. That's oh, a rainbow. It's a leaf rainbow. Lovely. That's really good, Caitlin. Good collecting of leaves there. <laughs> so, yeah, I think they do. And there's an idea that coming to this country, perhaps they see the urban future and to be 
interested in rural see, issues, yeah. backwards almost. Yeah, they see it as the past. It takes quite a long time for people to find things sometimes. I, I mean, I grew up around here, I had no idea these things existed. Maybe yeah. they didn't exist in the 80s. No, they did. They did, they see, did. exactly, we didn't, we weren't aware. Yeah, and in fact, there were probably more little wild spaces in the 80s. Oh, we've got a witch. <laughs> oh, we've got a wooden broom in our face. <laughs> Thank you for that. Uh, that's a really good witch broomstick. <laughs> uh, okay. What we want is for these children to maintain that contact throughout their lives because if they don't have an emotional contact to a place, I don't think they will care about it when they're older. <laughs> You're going to go and brush and leave with that now. I'm walking along the Staffs and Worcester Canal and it's a properly pretty scene I'd say the sun is coming out after a misty morning and there's no one really around and there's a, a few ducks on the canal and they're dipping to catch fish and I'm on my way to meet Paul Wilkinson who's an ecologist with the Canal and River Trust. Hi Paul, Hi. nice to meet you. Now, I've got to say that I, I grew up around here and I don't really associate canals with wildlife. I associate them with kind of shopping trolleys being thrown into them. Yeah I grew up in Wolverhampton myself my dad used to take me to the canals and that image was very much, we used to catch sticklebacks and smooth newts and it was very easy, the canals were full of sticklebacks and that was an indicator that the water quality wasn't great because they can sort of put up with it where other fish can't. As we've worked hard to clean up the water of the canals and they've got a much more diverse species of fish now and we've actually lost the sticklebacks on most of the canals but they've been replaced by 10, 20 different species. And now we've got species like otter, which have returned again, which suffered from pollution. And you look here now and you tell me a nature reserve that's as good as this. No, it's very, um, very beautiful. But it's amazing that in your lifetime, the species have totally changed the kind of things that you find on the canal. Yeah, there were species that I read as a child growing up in Wolverhampton. You will never see these species. You have to go to the middle of Wales or the far out reaches to see them. And actually, they're now right here. I mean, we've even had polecat, which was a species that was restricted right to the middle of Wales when I was a child. And actually, my dad took me to Wales to find them. And they're actually here now. And um, we've actually had one in the Bratch Lock several years ago that got stuck. So we know it was a true polecat. And how come it's got so much cleaner? There's two things that have changed in terms of otter. There's certain pesticides have been banned, which were getting into the water and really hurting the ecosystem. But the canals were neglected. Back in the day, all the drainage would come to the canal, so whatever the factory or industry was doing would drain straight to the canal. Dredging as well, taking out the contaminants in the silt, because these canals are you know, getting on for 250 years old. Yes. Uh, they've, had a lot, they've seen a lot of history on them. But have people stopped using canals as that kind of sewer yeah. rubbish it, tip? It's seen as a very positive asset now. As we've lost a lot of the countryside around here, this is the now the main access to open countryside yeah and so everybody's valuing it and people can't get away with things anymore if someone sees a pollution they report it and they can get prosecuted so everyone's now seen it as their asset so we're walking under a bridge actually it's hard to imagine this as an industrial scene but canals are industrial things aren't they yeah, yeah. they were built for industry yeah, they were very harsh environments uh, 200 yeah. years ago so we've got a couple of students here who are specialising in identifying the whereabouts of the Wolverhampton Otter. I'm Samantha Mason and I'm from the University of Birmingham. The main sign of if an otter's there is to look for the sprinting and on canal systems it's actually quite easy to do. I don't want to get graphic but I can't <laughs> actually 
see where the sprinting is. There's like that dark area there that you can see. There's a couple more up further as well. So the sprints are basically, it's a polite word for otter poo. Yeah, it's just how they mock their territory. Part of what we're doing is we're measuring all the different characteristics of the canal as well, so the different habitats, the fish species, and by analysing that and seeing the distribution, trying to tell if we can tell where the otters are going to be. I've got to say, I can't remember ever seeing any fish in any canal during my 18 years in Wolverhampton. <laughs> but you're, you're promising they exist in there. Yeah, yeah, we've got a lot of different fish species and they vary what kind depending. Of fish do you get? Paul will probably be able to tell you better than I will. So we've got bullheads, stone loach, gudgeon. There's a, also a whole load of other species like perch and roach and chub. There's a whole diversity of fish here in there. And it's quite a misconception that people don't think there's any fish in the canal. And the mm. otter over there is the actual flag saying this is a very healthy fish ecology mm. and there's plenty of fish. Do you think your father is aware of how much influence the fact that he took you to the canal site would have on your life? Maybe, and this might be the first time he's heard it, but... Uh... <laughs> so then we're going to get you into the, into the back there. Okay. Um, so if you want to climb across, okay. I'll hold on to the boat. Use your hands to climb across okay. and uh, just keep yourself nice and low. I'm wearing completely inappropriate shoes. You'll be fine, you'll be fine. I've been canoeing in my life in various places, in Montenegro, the Caribbean, Florida, and so on, but I've never really considered canoeing in a Wolverhampton canal. And drop my oar. And I'm here to meet Nick Goodall, who's a canoeing instructor. Brilliant. And I'll get in next to you, and then we'll push off. So, if you want to hold your paddle like this. Oh, yes, this, of course, yes. Hand up there. I forgot about the canoeing bit. That hand there. Yeah. Reach forward. Yeah. Pull. And off we go. Very good. So, which way are we going? Let's go that way, actually, no. Let's go that way. That way? Yeah. yeah. I've got to say, it is the most beautiful afternoon in the history. <laughs> it's brilliant, isn't it? In all the afternoons I've had in Wolverhampton in my life, this has got to be the prettiest. Really is. You picked a really cracking day for November. Who'd have believed this? But canals for me are much narrower than this, deeper and a bit more stabby. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because I, I grew up around here. and yes, sure. There weren't really areas you hung around for these, leisure reasons. These have improved massively and since they've put this new path in as well there's been a tremendous increase in people coming down here for running and walking. Uh, cyclists, there's a huge number of cyclists coming down now. It really has opened up the canals and we're seeing a lot more people on boats coming down as well, the barges. Um, and I don't know if you saw just as you came down, there was a working barge there came past. Oh, yeah, they had, it had coal in it, coal, didn't it? Yes, yeah, so he's yeah. carrying coal for a business now on the canals. So what do they do? They drop off coal at various houses? Yeah. Or no, li literally they'll drop it off at a wharf and collect something else and move on from there. God, it's a revival of the canals. Absolutely. And he was carrying 18 tonnes effortlessly. Incredible. So am I doing this right? Have a look at how I'm paddling. If you can get your paddle more upright... All right. The more upright your paddle is, the more forward power you'll get from it. But it is as pretty as, say, the Cam in Cambridge, isn't it? It's lovely, isn't it? And to think we're in the heart of Wolverhampton, it's quite incredible. Yeah, uh, a city really that was voted the fifth worst city in the world yeah. recently, yeah. alongside Detroit really? and El Salvador. Good Lord. Ridiculous, isn't it? It is incredible.
Yeah, we're right in the heart. Very pretty little location. I'll get out. If you want to climb out, the boat's going to wobble slightly, but just use your hands. Use my shoulder if you want to. Super. I'm standing on an old railway bridge, and actually it's a, it's a really beautiful scene at sunset. And I'm reminded, as a writer, of all the mean things that writers have said about this part of the world over the years. Early descriptions of the black country were incredibly grim. Charles Dickens wrote in 1841 in his novel The Old Curiosity Shop that the area's factories poured out their plague of smoke, obscured the light and made foul the melancholy air. And also, of course, Tolkien used the black country as the basis for Mordor in Lord of the Rings, which means black land. I'm standing with George Rice, who is a volunteer who has helped improve access to the canal. You disagree with these cliched views. I do. As I'm standing here, I'm looking down from the bridge onto the Staffs Worcester Canal. A water vole has just come out from the bank of the canal as we're talking, and we can see the ripples of it down there. The water vole is a very endangered animal. Uh, numbers have dropped by 90%, and yet they've survived in Wolverhampton, and it's incredibly exciting to see them when they're very rarely seen, and just as you were talking, one of them did come out then. Um, it's now disappeared back into the bank as I speak. And for me, that's part of the excitement of being here, is that you never know quite what you're going to see. So the Staffs Worcester Canal, Staffordshire Worcestershire Canal, is about 60 miles long, and this is the only place in that, along the whole length of that canal, here in the middle of the urban Wolverhampton, that you will find water voles. And we've made a lot of efforts to protect them, to improve the habitat for them so that they survive, so that numbers can grow again. So there's the wildlife element to me that makes it exciting. And then you need to remember that technically we're not really in the black country at all here. I know people argue about this. They do. And the black country was the area where there was coal and where there was forges and where there was industry based on the coal. And that's really the other side of Wolverhampton from here, from Bilston to the southeast. There's no coal at all here. Where we're standing, this was the boundary, really, between Wolverhampton, which was a prosperous market town, and Tetnall, which was the next village beyond two Saxon settlements, um, both about a 1,000 years old. And just a few yards from where we are, there's a stream which is mentioned in the charter that was given to the Saxon princess, who was the founder of Wolverhampton, Princess Wolfruna, this is the Smesto this is Brook. The, the Smesto Brook. And I actually looked up what Smesto means. I might have got it wrong. Place of the Smiths. I didn't know that. I've learned something I think today. it does. And I think Good. it refers to the fact that there was industry in this part of the world, even in the Middle Ages. Mm -hmm. the people mm -hmm. were making stuff with metal. They were yes. making weapons for the Civil War here. Yes, and they made spectacles too. Early spectacles were made in, in Tetnall, and the local cottage industry. And then come about the 1700s and the whole situation changed because people realised that they could connect the whole of inland Britain by using the rivers and by building short stretches of canal. Should we go yeah. down the steps oh, down here? Way. Yeah. Do you think, in a way, nature means more in an industrial landscape, in an urban landscape? I find the history of the landscape and the fact that people have interacted with it very interesting. How does the landscape influence people and how, how, how do people influence the landscape? So I love the wildlife and the ecology, but you can see, just seeing this water vole that we've just seen just down here, that probably that water vole, the reason why they've survived here 
my guess is that the mink didn't want to come here because there were lots of people in the city and that probably meant there was fewer mink and uh, the waterfall had a better chance of survival. So it's ironic that people think that the city is the place where you don't have wildlife, but in fact, sometimes the city actually helps the, wild, the wildlife to thrive. Our aim improving access to the canal has been to bring more people here, but we don't want it so entirely swamped with people that the water voles do feel intimidated or that there are no kingfishers here any longer. So there is a balance to be struck, but I don't think the balance is about all humans or no humans. The, the balance should be about something in between where humans and nature actually coexist. No, it's very, very um, beautiful. I've got to say, I didn't realise things this pretty existed in my hometown. We must take a photograph because pe people won't believe how pretty it is. Mm -hmm. 